Good morning. Happy Sabbath. I'm so grateful for the gifts that God has given the members of the praise team and the way that He can use them to be such a blessing to us. Thank you so much. And I, I'm so grateful for all of you who have stepped up to this stage in the, pre, the previous Sabbath as we've walked through the book of Luke. And now I'm eager to for the same thing to happen as we walk through the Hall of Faith. I, I considered it such good fortune when, when Brian Dudar called me and told me that we were going to be going through Hebrews 11 and each week we'd be taking a character from, from what we call the Hall of Faith. All those men and women who are mentioned in Hebrews 11 noted for their faith. And he said, you're going to be the first one and so you can choose anyone that you want. And, and of course, I have such admiration and respect for all those people. Sometimes when you have so many good choices, it's, it's hard to know which one to choose. But this one wasn't hard for me. I knew immediately who I wanted to talk about. I, I wanted to talk about Enoch. Now, the Bible doesn't, there's, there's not a lot written about Enoch in the Bible. He's mentioned briefly only three times. He's, there's a brief mention in the book of Jude where Jude quotes a prophecy that he attributes to, to Enoch. And then, of course, there's the place there in Hebrews in this, this faith chapter where, where Enoch is mentioned. And then, then he's mentioned in Genesis in the genealogy. And, and not much is said about him there. But what is said really captured me. And I that's who I wanted to feature, even though not much was written. And I decided to do more research about Enoch. And so I, I went to the SDA Bible commentary, and I was surprised to learn that, that there's an Arabic legend that credits Enoch with the one who originated writing and arithmetic. And I thought, that's perfect. What better person to feature on the Sabbath before school starts when we're dedicating our wonderful team of teachers than the, than the guy who originated writing an arithmetic, arithmetic? Because think of it, if, if he hadn't originated writing, then we wouldn't have reading. And so if it really was him that originated the, the arithmetic and, and writing, without him we wouldn't have what we call the, the three R's. And, and think how horrible that would be for our children because without reading, writing, and arithmetic, back in the day that was pretty much all there was. The only thing left was recess. And, <laughs> and that'd be such a, a horrible thing to do to children because you know how it is with children. For a lot of them, recess is their favorite subject. And if you take their favorite option and make it the only option, then, I don't know, just when you take away that opportunity of choice, it, it, you lose a lot. And, and we know that pretty soon they'd be, that continual recess would get so tedious. And, and they'd be craving something, but they wouldn't even have the, the vocabulary to know what it was. Of course, Mr. Iyer and Mr. Goimer and I, we'd know that what they were really craving was algebra and geometry, but they wouldn't even know those words, and so it would just be such a horrible thing. So I'm, I'm grateful. If it was him that originated those things, I'm very grateful, but those aren't the reasons that I wanted to talk about Enoch today. The reason that I wanted to talk about Enoch was because of what is written about him in Genesis 5.22, where it says that Enoch walked with God. Because I want that to be my experience. I want to walk with God. When you read, there's, there's a beautiful chapter in, in the book Patriarchs and Prophets written by Ellen White where she describes a whole chapter dedicated to Enoch, well, Seth and Enoch. And, 
And she talks about Enoch and how his walk with God, it wasn't easy for Enoch. She, things had deteriorated a lot by then. And even though he was the seventh generation from Adam, those people lived a long time, a lot of them up to 700 or 900 years, actually. And, and once they started that trajectory away from God, they had the time and the capacity to go a long ways down that track. And, and so Enoch was going against the flow of the culture and, and admonishing and entreating, and, and, and he earnestly desired this walk with God, but, but it was kind of a lonely time for him. And... and I want to walk close to God, but I don't want to have to do it like that. What I really want, <clears throat> I want to walk with a community that walks with God. That's what I'd really want. But where am I going to find such a community? Would you be my community? Now, if you're a little nervous, I can understand. I can think of a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want me in your community. Because <clears throat> it is a commitment. Um, as Jonathan Hargrove says, if we're going to enter this community that God's is calling us to, we need to realize that our lives are not our own. We'll have been made living members of the body of Christ. Arthur Gishy says, unless we're prepared to die for each other, we're not ready to love and live for each other. That's the kind of community that God's calling us to. He says, community is possible only to the extent that we leave our old selves behind and we're cleansed. This is a sacrifice. Thomas Kempis, he says this. He says, if you want to join this community, you have to realize that what we cannot change in ourselves or in others, we ought to endure patiently until God wishes, until God wishes it to be otherwise. Oh, that might be painful. Anybody want to be part of my community? We can walk together. Walk with God. Because that's what I'm longing for. I want to be part of a vibrant community. A community that's so relevant that even our children find it attractive. Our young people want to be a part of it and they find that it meets their needs, that they find a connection, they find themselves nurtured. Because I've seen the statistics, you might have too. There's too many of our young people who leave our community after they graduate and after a few years. And, and even if that happens to one, that's too many, right? And so I want us to be a community that, that nurtures our young people. And if we do that, I think that's going to affect us and we're going to be able to nurture each other. We're going to become a more vibrant community. We've got so much to learn from our children. I'm so grateful to all of you who are supporting Paradise Adventist Academy and that mission that we're striving for to develop well-educated citizens who do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God. And we earnestly want to do that in our objectives. We want to accomplish. We want our students to, to know God more and to become better servants and decrease in kindness and of course their academics and the beauty to the world and the communication and the stewards of God creations all those things that we're working on and and we need to be a harmonious community to do that and it's such a blessing to have the opportunity even though it's expensive yes I know it's expensive but what better investment are young people such a joy. There's such an inspiration. I remember a few years ago, 
one of our students, he was a sophomore, he's graduated now, going to university, but he was a sophomore at the time. And he came to me and he said, would you be willing to spend some time, you know, about an hour once a week, just, you know, hanging out and talking? And I thought, wow, I mean, hardly, that almost never happens to me. And so I was so excited, I said, yes, yeah. I, I said, yeah, well, let me think about it. Uh, then when he explained it, I, I, he was, um, <laughs> He was taking, he'd been recruited by Pastor Milton to be part of a research project. And, um, and so the research project, Pastor Milton was working on his doctoral dissertation. And, and he was working on a question of what impact does it have on our young people if, you know, if they have a connection with an adult. And so um, he was wanting to do this experiment where a young person would find an adult and they'd spend an hour a week for six weeks and then he gave them a questionnaire beforehand about their spiritual life and their picture of God and all. They do this six-week process where they hang out with an adult for an hour or so. And then, then they retake the questionnaire and see if there had been any shift, anything, any effect, any impact. And he was going to write that up and that was going to be his dissertation. So this young man had come to me and says, would you be the adult that, you know, I, I spend time with? And still, even though it was part of a project, I still felt very honored because there was a lot of other adults he could have chosen. He chose me and I felt very honored. I was very grateful. I said, yes, I want to do that. And so we checked our schedules, decided to meet on Thursdays at lunch. And it wouldn't be a full hour, but we'd do some extra sessions and, and there, we had enough time before school was out. And so, so that first Thursday before before we were going to have our, our first meeting, I went to my favorite, my favorite restaurant in town and I, I got one of my two favorite entrees. It was a burrito vegetariano especial. And, and I, big burrito, and, and I ordered two of them and they wrapped them up in this beautiful tin foil and, and, and I brought them back and um, there's this beautiful picnic table out in the corner of the field that's shaded during lunchtime. And, and so I, and I went to the, the kitchen and I got some real plates, you know, not the paper ones, but real plates and, and real metal eating utensils, not the plastic, so you don't have to worry about breaking the tine off your fork and stuff. And, and so I took it out there and s set up this beautiful banquet with a, with a burrito and I even got some paper towel, you know, for napkin and... and had it all set up. And so when the bell rang, I saw him coming out across the field and, and I was praying for him and praying for our time together. And I was, but I was remembering what Pastor Milton had told us because Pastor Milton had gathered all the adults together and he said, I said, okay, these young people have chosen you and uh, the purpose of this uh, experiment is just to see what impact it has if, if, young people have a connection with adults. This isn't to be a time where you preach to them or teach to them. You just I want you to spend most of your time just listening and let them guide the conversation. Talk about what they want to talk about. So just, and it might be kind of awkward for you and it's probably going to be even more awkward for them, but just go ahead and endure that and, and let them guide the conversation. 
And that made sense to me. I, I, I get it. it. It goes along perfectly with something that, that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said that spiritual love will talk to Christ about a brother more than to a brother about Christ. And so I thought, yeah, okay, so I'm not, I'm not going to guide this. I'm just going to be a listener and, you know, try to, to let him guide the conversation. And so he came out and his eyes lit up when he saw that tinfoil, you know, and, and it was just shiny and silver and big. And, and so we, um, we opened up the burritos and, and dug into them with these beautiful metal eating utensils. And, and um, he took his first bite and he says, wow, this, this is a good burrito. He says, yeah, it's, it's the vegetariano especial. It's got, you know, in, in addition to the rice and beans, it's got potatoes and carrots and zucchini. And I took, left out the onions, but, and, you know, I was ranting about this burrito. And then I thought, oh, wait, I better back off a bit. I'm starting to take more than my share of the conversation here. So, so I, you know, I, I, I quieted down and, and started eating my burrito and, I was going to let him lead the conversation. But the problem is, I think he was thinking the same thing. And so, <laughs> so it, it got kind of quiet and, and for longer than it was comfortable, even for me. And I can, I can take some pretty long silences. I remember one, one time I drove from Bozeman, Montana to Phoenix, Arizona with one of my good friends. And we drove all day, didn't say a word. And it was fine, you know. We, and, and so... So I, I, don't, I don't mind silence, although this was getting a little uncomfortable. It was a little too long. So finally he cleared his throat, and I was so relieved, and I looked up. You know, I thought he was going to say something, but, but he wasn't. He just had something in his throat, you know. So, <laughs> so, um, so I looked down to my burrito and busied myself, and he cleared his throat again, but I didn't look up. I wasn't going to start that, you know, thing. And, and finally, finally, he, he, he cleared his throat again, and he says, you know, um, I'm not so sure about this whole Adventist thing. And I says, oh, uh, um, boy, I'd love to hear you tell me more about what you mean. He says, well, it seems to me like, like the, whole, the whole thing is, is built on a, ah, just a big mistake. And, of course, I, I was pretty sure I knew what I meant. I says, oh, you, you're talking about the you know, the great disappointment. And he says, yeah. He says, yeah. I mean, it's like that's how the whole thing got started and that's their whole foundation. I, I'm not sure I want to be a part of that. And I says, well, actually, I, I, I never thought of it that way. But yeah, now that you mention it, I, I see what you mean. And, and so we, we started talking about that big mistake. We talked about how they were, even though Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour, they were so certain that Jesus was going to come in October 22nd, 1844. And we talked about how committed they were, how, how farmers, some of them didn't even plant their crops because they wouldn't need them. That would be a lack of faith to plant crops when Jesus was going to be coming in October. Some of them didn't even put up firewood. Some of them sold everything and, and, and put in their resources to getting the word out so they could spread the word and tell others that Jesus was coming October 22nd, 1844. And, and, and then he didn't. And, and they were so, so discouraged, so depressed, so disappointed. And, and, and I says, well, I, I see what you're saying. I says, it sounds to me like you, you view that as the foundation of this denomination and 
And if that's not a lot to offer, maybe an object lesson to the rest of the world, but you're not sure you want to be a part of this. And he says, yeah. I said, okay, I got you. That makes sense. And he says, well, how do you see it? And I says, ah, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to spend time talking to you about my perspective. I want to hear your perspectives, and, which wasn't quite true. I kind of wanted to share him a little bit of a different perspective. And so I says, well, um, and he asked, he says, no, 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 I, I, I want to know. And I says, well, okay, you sure? Yeah, yeah, I'm really curious how you look at it. And I says, well, I guess when I, when I think of that, I, my takeaway is I, I just come away with such respect and admiration for those people. I mean, they had such, they were so committed. Misguided, yeah, but man, they were so committed. And we're all, I know I get misguided, but they were willing to put their, pour themselves into it wholeheartedly. And they had such love. They wanted to get the word out to everybody. I mean, I'm sure some of them were working out of fear, but those aren't the ones I don't think who kept on after the disappointment. But the ones who kept on, they were so earnest and so desired to be with Jesus and poured themselves into them. They had such grit. I mean, even afterwards, man, they were disfellowshipped from their denominations because they had this weird view and, and, and I just admire their tenacity and they, they stuck together. They, they get together in groups and and they were determined, you know, they felt the pain of being ostracized and disfellowshipped, and they didn't want to do that to anyone, so they vowed that they weren't going to, they'd never join another denomination. They wouldn't be form a denomination. They were just going to pray together and seek God. And they came up with some really beautiful teachings and understandings, just a picture of God that, that I've, it seems to me like they just made a wonderful contribution to, to the world. And, and that's kind of what I think of when I think of it. And he says, oh, well, I guess... It's different than that. I was seeing it. And about then the bell rang and he had to go to class. And so I says, well, you better get going so you're not late. I'll, I'll do dishes. And he says, you sure? Yeah, I'll, I'll, you go ahead. So, so he, he left and, and I did the dishes. And as, as I was going back, I was, you know, I was praying for him. And I, and I was hoping that I hadn't talked too much and that I hadn't said the wrong things. But oh, I wanted to connect with him. And, and so... So the next Thursday, I, I went back to my favorite restaurant and got my ever, other favorite entree. The, it's the soft tostada burrito. And, and so I got two of those, big as well, and wrapped them up in that beautiful tin foil. And I brought them back and set out that same banquet. And he came out and started into that burrito. And he says, wow, this is different, but this is really good too. I says, yeah, this is soft tostada burrito. And, and, and he didn't wait very long this time. He says, you know, um, uh, Last time we were here, you said that, that um, those guys, after the great disappointment, they, that they had resolved that they weren't going to organize, that they thought that, you know, it, that it wasn't a good thing to organize and, and then be in a position to where you would reject other people for not believing like you did and all that kind of thing. But it seems to me like the church is pretty organized. And, and, and I says, well, yeah, yeah, you're right. The, the, the church is pretty organized. And... Um, I got churches and conferences and unions and divisions and general, you know, yeah, yeah, you're right. 
Um, took them a while. They, they held out for quite a while. But you know, it got complicated. Things happened. I told them about that one home group that just a few people they were meeting in, in somebody's home, but the group got too large and the home wouldn't fit anymore. So one of the members says, you know, I got this barn we could use. If it's a, it needs some work, but, but what we could do is we could, you know, if you wanted to fix it up, we could meet there. So they did. They pooled their resources. They had work bees. They put in carpet and air conditioning. Well, maybe not carpet and air conditioning. You know, they fixed it up. This was in the 1850s by now, I think, and, and, then, and it served him well, but then something happened, and the guy decided that he'd rather use it for a tavern. So they came one time, and they didn't have this beautiful building that they had put all this work into was now being used for a purpose that that wasn't their intent. And plus, they wanted to have schools. And they wanted to send out missionaries. And they, they finally realized, you know what? It's as bad as it is to be organized. It's probably even worse to be disorganized. So they decided to go ahead and, and organize. And he said, well, okay, that, that makes sense. And he said, and he said you also said that, uh, that, that they, um, you know, had these beautiful teachings that painted a picture of God. And what do you mean? What, what are those? And of course, you see what he's doing, right? He's, he's leading the conversation, all right, but it's, he's asking questions, and I'm having to do all the talking. So I said, tell you what, let's, we'll take turns. You tell me what one of them that you might think, and then I'll tell you one that, you know, I might think. And, and so he says, well, okay, I suppose, um, I mean, I don't know if it's all that unique. There's probably other churches that do it too, but there is a seventh-day thing, right? I mean, it's right in the name. He says, yeah, it's, it's one of them. That's kind of a thing that they re-emphasize, and we talked about that, and he actually told me, he said, yeah, I, I don't really see the big deal about that, and so we talked about that. You know, I told him how I kind of looked like it, at it as if it were, I kind of compared it to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, you know, how one of the opportunities we have to, to do something just because God said so, and not some sociological reason like society will work better if you do it on that day kind of a thing, and and he got that. And then when it was my turn, I told him how much I enjoyed this idea that we are spiritual Israel. And, and he was a little bit curious about that. And I said, you know, I said how God chose Abraham. He says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And, and it, uh, God wants to bring restoration and, and healing to the world. And he wants to do it through humans. And, and how... Um, Jesus came and, and showed how that can work, and then he's inviting us. And so the same thing that he is wanting to do with Abraham and Israel in the Old Testament, he's wanting to do with us. It's the same plan, and, and just what a marvelous opportunity that is. And we talked about that, and then the bell rang again, and so it was time to, time to go. The, and each time he came, he'd, he'd, he'd ask one of those questions. He came the next time, he said, or one of the next times, and he said, um, did Jesus really have to die? I mean, why did he have to die? I, I hear sometimes that he had to die. And I just, you know, some, some, some of the way we talk about that, talk about how him being a, a sacrifice and paying a price and, and appeasing. In fact, we even sing this one song about, and it's a beautiful song. I love the song, except for there's that one line that says, you know, on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. I says, yeah, I know. We, we, we have a lot of rhetoric that paints a pretty bad picture of God. But I said, are you sure you want to talk this? Talk about this? I mean, man, there have been wars fought. There's churches that have split. There's people that have burned at stake for, you know, the wrong belief about the answer to this question. Are you sure? He says, yeah, I want to talk about that. And so we, we talked about that. I think that one took up the whole time. And then, and then there was, oh, there was, there was the one where, where he came and he says, you know, 
The second coming, that's, that's, that's a big deal to Adventists, right? And I says, well, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a pretty big deal. It's, it's, it's in our name. We've got this picture on our wall in the teacher's workroom. We, we you know, on our funerals. We, we just really, this is a wonderful hope. Yeah, it's, it's a big deal to Adventists. And, and he says, well, I don't know. It's not that big of a deal to me. And, and I says, oh, I'd love to hear you talk more about that. And he says, well, the Adventists believe that you sleep after you die, right? I says, yeah. He says, well, wouldn't it be better just keep on sleeping? And I thought, yeah, I've spoken like a true teenager, you know, just, <laughs> just, just let, me, let me sleep. And, and I mean, why get back up and, and, you know, the way it's written about and talked about, it says, you know, it talks about golden streets and mansions and I don't, it sounds like this eternal vacation. And, and I, I says, yeah, I get it. I says, the golden streets don't do much for me either, or the mansion, or even the eternal vacation. Some of my greatest joys come from wrestling through and conquering, you know, some struggle. And, and yeah, I get it. I hear what you're saying. And so he says, um, so you're not all that enthused about the second coming either? I says, no, 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 I am. I am. I really am. He says, well, what, why? I mean, what's, what are you looking forward to? And I, and I find myself kind of struggling for exactly how to portray it because, you know, there's this one idea that came to mind. You kind of mentioned there in Corinthians where he says, you know, you'll, you'll know fully, even as you're fully now known. And that, that does something for me. There's that one in Revelation where it says you're going to be given a, new, a white stone with a new name written on it. And, but it's hard to really articulate why that means so much to me. I, what I needed is some different words or some way to arrange words, some way to... Um, I need to take this backwards. Okay. So, some way to arrange words where... Or I could just get across the concept. What I need is a really good story. But the story I really needed, I didn't hear until just a couple weeks ago. Those of you who were back at the teacher's convention, you'll recognize parts of this story, at least the first part. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it differently so it'll transition from a true story that actually happened to a true story that may not have happened, but, you know, kind of like a parable. And so... Um, it's a wedding story, and it's, it's so appropriate. I think some of the best metaphors and analogies we have for the kingdom of God are, are wedding stories because, you know, it's about that relationship. And I, wait, how'd that picture get in there? Somebody's been tampering with the, sorry, let me get that off of there. That's, okay. Um, so um, this is a story told to us by Pastor Sam back at the convention. He talks about, um, he, he, he's a chaplain at a, at one of our universities, and so he has lots of opportunities to, to, he's invited to officiate at young people's weddings, and so there was this young couple that had invited him to officiate at their wedding, and, and so he was doing the pre-marriage counseling with them, and they were a wonderful couple. The young man, he was a fourth-generation Adventist. Man, he could build a haystack perfectly in his sleep. You know, he could, he'd do the chips and the beans and then the cheese so it can melt into the beans, you know, and then the lettuce. And, and the, the young lady, she was, it was only about a year and a half for her, so sometimes she'd get the order wrong. She'd put the lettuce before the cheese and just mess it all up. But, but even so, she loved the doctrines. She loved the, the, the beautiful picture of God that was painted. 
offended in, in, in those teachings. And she just had this massive crush on Jesus. And, and, and so he was counseling with them. And, and they were doing so well. They asked such good questions and so good at those communication skills and those skills that you need to work through differences. And so it kind of surprised him two weeks before the wedding, the, the, the wedding date, when they came to him and he could see by their expressions that they'd come, against, come up against something just that they couldn't get past. And so, so he says, come on in, what's, what's, what's going on? And, and it turns out what had happened is they were over at the wedding venue and just looking about where to put things and how to arrange things. And she happened to mention, she says, you know, oh, we could move these tables and this. We could have the dance floor right here. And, and the young man says, well, we can't have a dance at our wedding. And she says, what? We, we can't have a wedding without a dance. And, and so they started trying to work through this and, and they come up against a difficulty and, and they weren't being successful. And so they came to Pastor Sam and Pastor Sam he turned to the young lady and says, you know, um, we've got some grave concerns about dancing, and we have for a long time. I, from our very beginnings, it's, it's just an integral part of our DNA, our, our tradition. It's a very fundamental thing. And is there any way that you could, you know, I don't know, is, is there any way that you could just let that one go? And, and she says, no, this means so much to me. I've always wanted this. And all that it stands for, the courtesy and the respect and the grace and the cooperation, I just, I just can't imagine. I couldn't bear to have my wedding not have a dance. And he went to her parents' house, and all of them tried to, he tried to explain, but he couldn't. So he went to the groom and the parents, and he says, you know, it means something different to them. Is there any way that, that, that you could consider maybe having... And, but, and finally, the groom, the groom says, you know, maybe, maybe this is a cultural thing and maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it'll be okay and, and I'm okay with it. But the parents, the parents, he says, you know, um, we just can't countenance this. You know, it was, it was like Martin Luther saying, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. He says, if you guys are going to have a dance at your wedding, we're not going to be able to attend. And... And so they decided to go ahead and go with it. But when it came time to, for the groom to, to walk the mother down the aisle, I, I know a, a mother who looked, she enjoyed, that was such a highlight when, when Austin got married a few weeks ago. And that was, that was one of Rosie's highlights when, when she took his arm and he walked her down the aisle and gave her that hug and that kiss. And it was a proud moment for me too. I walked down behind them and then, then um, you know, we got to sit right up there in the front seat, right by the aisle, right across the aisle from the mother and father of the bride. And it was such a joyful moment for us. And, and this father and mother didn't get that experience. And then those seats were empty and everybody could see those empty seats and it just hurt. It just so painful. And, and then the bride, she came walking down and, and, and there were tears flowing down. And, and of course, I saw that with our daughter-in-law, Linda. She had tears flowing down too, but these were different tears. I mean, Linda, I saw her do it at the, when Austin proposed to her. He surprised her and she was just so happy. But there were these tears. It's just the strangest thing. But this, this, this bride, you could see by these tears, if you'd have taken a chemical analysis of these, these were, these were pure pain. And, and, and she came up and, 
and the groom had tears and, and everybody, their hearts, they felt like their hearts were being crushed in a vice. It was just so painful, but yet they wanted it to be a joyful time and they tried to be joyful, but they couldn't. It was just so painful. And, and they got through the ceremony and then it was time for the reception. And so they went to the to the tables and the bride and groom went up to the serving table and he built her a haystack, but it, he messed it up, you know. Actually, I made that up. I don't know if that happened. But, but they, they served and people were giving toasts. You know, they were had the raising their glasses with the Martinellis and trying to be joyful, but it was just painful. And then, and then they got to the time when, when it was the time for the dance. And so the the DJ put on the song and the bride and groom stood up to take their place on the dance floor and they started and of course the groom didn't know how to dance but but he followed her and she made him look pretty good as good as she could with what she had to work with it was what what wives do right and so so it was it was beautiful to watch and and but it was painful and, and they, they couldn't see. Their eyes were blurry and tears. So they didn't notice when that, that side door opened. It, was, it opened right onto the dance floor, actually. And, but they didn't see it. All the people at the tables, they saw it. And they, they were kind of stunned, wondering what was going to happen next. Because the door opened and the in walked the, the father and mother of the groom. And, and, and they kind of stood there, you know, you could tell that they weren't quite sure what to do. But then, then you could see, you know, the father set his jaw. You could see that he was determined and resolved. And his lip was quivering a bit, but he started walking out to that dance floor. And he, he got up to where they were, and he tapped the, the young man on the shoulder. And that kind of startled him. And he stopped and backed away. And, and then he stepped in, and he took the bride's hand in and, and, and that, that, that position. And like he wanted to dance with her. And so she was very gracious. She started, you know, dancing with him. And, and this is where I'm going to start deviating from the story that Pastor Sam said, because I'm, I'm concerned now about the groom. I mean, Pastor Sam didn't say anything about what happened next with the groom, but look at, think about this groom. Here he is standing all alone out on the dance floor, and his father is dancing with the bride there, and he's there. He's feeling kind of awkward. But then the mother of the groom comes up. She wants to dance with her son. I know, I know of another mother who really enjoyed the opportunity to dance with her son. And so she comes up there, but they've got a problem. I mean, she, she can't dance, and he can't dance. And, they, they, and so, so they try, they stumble and trip, and it's painful to watch, but yet, strangely, it's kind of beautiful to watch. But, and then the mother, the mother of the bride, she came up, and she could dance. She knew how to dance, and she could have helped. I don't know if she could have helped them or not, but she, she came up. And, and so when the mother saw her, she let go of the groom, the son, and, and just embraced this mother in this huge hug. And they just held on to each other as if to say, I'm going to love you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to love them. I'm going to support them. We're going to do this. And there's the groom all by himself on the dance floor again. And he's saying, I can see why the, we, I can see why uh, I'm not so excited about this dancing thing. And but then the father of the groom comes up, and he knows how to dance as well, but he's got no intentions of dancing with this 
young man. He, but he's got a big smile on his face and his arms wide open. He embraces this young man. He says, I'm going to love you. I'm going to support you. And then the two mothers, they see that and they join in. And so all four of them embraced, hugging each other. And then the father and the bride right close by, they see that and they want in. So they all come over. Pretty soon all six of them are just hugging each other, holding on tight, saying, let's be a community. And then, and then the, the people at the tables, the wedding guests, they, they start they want in. So they start coming up. They start streaming onto the dance floor. And just, they don't want to dance. This looks way more fun. So they start hugging and they get this big group hug. But you know how it is with, with a big group hug when you're back at the outer perimeter, when it gets to be about 200 people, all you have is these shoulders and backs. And so they, they kind of look at each other and some of them see themselves accidentally standing beside someone who they had some, you know, unresolved tensions in their relationships. But they but they could see in each other's eyes a desire to forgive and a desire to be forgiven, a desire for reconciliation. And so they hug each other. And pretty soon everybody's just involved in these wonderful, connecting, warm embraces. And now the only person who's feeling awkward is the, the DJ because, because, <laughs> because the song ended now and there's this silence, this awkward silence. And you know, the DJ, it's his job to make sure that doesn't happen. He's supposed to read the audience, feel the mood, and come up with the next song to lead him into the next dance. And he doesn't have any song that's going to help these people dance. And, and so, and even to fit the mood, I mean, what kind of a song could, could, could capture what's going on here? I mean, there's that one song by that guy who used to be a slave trader. What's his name? John Newton. Um, talks about that amazing grace and forgiveness. But even that song doesn't quite capture the beauty of what's happening here. In fact, the song that, that really captured it, we've not even heard yet. It hasn't even been written yet, but, but we've we know it's coming because it talks about it in, in the book of Revelation. It says, you know, they, they song and sang a new song. And no one could learn the song except for those who've been redeemed. Those who've, who felt what it is, that pain, that pain of being so broken. Clear down to ourselves, clear down to our DNA. And nothing we can do. And as desperately as we want to connect with each other, we just can't. And as desperately as we want to lift each other up. We, we hurt each other. And, and as painful as it is to forgive, and we want to, and sometimes it's just so hard. And, and to, to have gone through all that, and then to be, to, be, to be saved, to be salvaged, to be restored, recreated, ransomed. I, just so many words, but none of them quite work. But, but something like that, that's, that's what we're longing for. That's that's, that's what it means to walk with God. That's what they're trying to get to when they talk about the golden streets and mansions, I, I, I think. And, and that's what I was trying to communicate that I'm so earnestly desiring because it's those restored relationships, that living in harmony. There's an abundant life that Jesus is calling us to. And, and I think that's what it means to walk with God. And I want to walk with God with the community. And I'm just wondering if you would be willing to be part of that community. And I'm so grateful for those of you who gave some verbal assent. 
Most of you are like me. When I really feel inspired about something, I sit there very quietly. <laughs> but, but there's something you can do. Even if you didn't say amen, there's something you could do. I'm, when I walk down here, I've got these bookmarks. They look like this on the front. They look like this on the back. They've got names, names of children, all kinds of children. Children from Paradise Adventist Academy. There's going to be some for Chico and public and home. Just all kinds of places. Just our young people. And I'm going to scatter them on the aisle, just like we do with flower petals at a wedding. And there's, they're going to be, you've got other people doing the same thing. And, and of course, they're going to be there on the floor. I hope they don't get stepped on. I hope they don't, they're going to be vulnerable. I hope they don't get, I hope they get, I hope they get picked up. I hope they get connected with. I hope you'll take some. I think there's enough. I don't know. I've got 170 from over there, but there's more. I, I don't know how many. There's probably enough for you to take more than one. Take as many as you want. If we run out, we'll make some more. Take some, some of these, and, and, and whoever's name you get, that's the Holy Spirit saying, this is your child to pray for, to talk to Christ about, about this young person every day of the year. And then while you're at it, pray for our schools. It's so encouraging. Some of you tell me every week, I'm, I pray for your school every day. And you, wouldn't, you can't imagine how encouraging that is. Because I think that's the key for us to be able to experience that community that God's calling us to. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we want to walk close to you. Close to each other. Close to you. We thank you for the invitation. Help us to walk. Just like Enoch. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.